0: Namo <Nic-> tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa. Buddhaṁ dhammaṁ saṅkhaṁ Welcome to everyone, to Amravati on this uh, Visakha Puja night. It's a auspicious day in the uh, the Buddhist calendar. So this uh, day, as probably most uh, people know, uh, is the uh, day on which, uh, according to our tradition, our scriptures, the, uh, the uh, Bodhisattva was born in Kapilavatu. Uh, and then... 35 years later in Bodhgaya, the Buddha uh, realized full and complete enlightenment under the Bodhi tree in Bodhgaya. And then another 45 years later, then uh, he entered uh, final Nibbana, uh, realized Parinibbana uh, in Kusinara. And uh, these three events all are traditionally uh, understood to have occurred on the, the full moon day of May And these various Years of the Buddha's life. So this is a uh, a gathering together of uh, many uh, auspicious conditions on this particular day in the in the year. Oh, when we have these uh, these ceremonies, it's very lovely to see the um, the shrines are decorated with so many candles because uh, the uh, the Buddha the word Buddha itself means. Uh, a- awake the one who is awake or the one who is aware and the the uh the candle the burning candle is a symbol of light in the, the darkness that which e- uh, enables us to to see that which brings vision and, uh, and the uh, the way that the buddha described his own realization was uh, to say uh, and as it's re- recounted in the dammacakka sutta the buddha's first discourse uh, Chakung udapadi vision arose Nyanang udapadi, uh, knowledge arose. Panya udapadi, uh, wisdom arose. Uh, vicha udapadi, uh, the uh, understanding or awareness arose. Aloka udapadi, the uh, the quality of light, inner light arose. So the the principle of the Buddha is very much a principle of vision and uh, clear seeing. So it's very uh, uh, appropriate to celebrate the uh, the Buddha's. Uh, Life, his presence in the world, and his legacy with the uh, the symbols of, of uh, light and uh, uh, the encouragement is that uh, the by uh, surrounding ourselves or, uh, with so much light and using that as a, a central feature, then that encourages us to uh, say light the inner flame, to uh, say give rise to that light of wisdom, that light of awareness, that light of, of knowledge within our own hearts we have, later on this evening uh, we'll have a uh, candlelight uh, pre- uh, procession again with carrying or carrying candles and incense and flowers uh, to uh, say uh, uh, perform our own uh, acts of devotion reverence towards uh, the buddha this is a, uh, a ceremony we have three times a year Maga puja uh, the full moon of february <coughs> <laughs> so the uh, full moon of February, Maga Puja, which is uh, the Sangha day, which uh, celebrates the time when the, the Buddha gave the first instruction on discipline to a spontaneously gathered group of 1250 arahants and gave the, the, the uh, initial monastic training, uh, guidance in monastic training. And then Asala Puja, the full moon of, of July, which is when he gave the first teaching, the Dhamma Chakasutta, the turning of the wheel. So that's uh, the Dhamma day. But today, uh, Visaka Puja, the full moon of May, is uh, the day of the birth, the enlightenment, and the final passing away of the Buddha. So today is really the, the, uh, the day that we uh, reflect upon and celebrate the, the presence of the Buddha as that, uh, say, the um, uh, central feature of the Triple Gem. One of the, the teachings that I like to reflect upon at this time, even though we have these beautiful gestures of devotion and respect, and so many people have been helping to gather together uh, flowers and to decorate the shrines and to uh, set things up, tying flags all over the, the stupa and uh, all through the uh, uh, the grounds. This is a, a way of, say, um, expressing our devotion, our reverence, our, our delight, uh, our gratitude for the, the Buddha's, presence in, in the world at 2,500 years ago. This great being appeared in the world and lived and taught for 45 years and we 2,600 years later are able to be the recipients, the very grateful and uh, appreciative recipients of his legacy that uh, the, the Buddha is no longer in the world uh, in terms of physical being but uh, it's amazing 26 centuries later that uh, we are still able to to uh, say know the buddha's teachings to practice the buddha te- buddha's teachings to uh, live in a community that uh, say respects and honors those qualities and to have our lives supported through the the paramita the spiritual virtues that the the buddha can kind of brought into the world and uh, to say be carried along by that Dhamma wheel that he set rolling you know, 26 centuries ago. It's an amazing and wonderful thing. So we express our, our gratitude, our appreciation, our devotion through you know, flags and flowers and candles and these are ways of expressing our, our heartful gladness and joy, appreciation for the, the Buddha's teaching. But uh, the Buddha was always one to, to keep things in perspective and uh, as a very interesting teaching that he gave to Ananda uh, right at the time of his Parinibbāna. So when he was reaching the end of uh, his uh, life in the human realm and uh, uh, he'd already predicted he was going to be uh, passing away very shortly, then uh, he was lying down uh, on his side under the uh, sala trees in the the forest at Kushinara. And uh, there were many miraculous, amazing uh, things that were happening at that time. And Ananda, uh, the Buddha's attendant, was uh, was very, uh, I say, impressed and and uh, delighted to to see all of these uh, some strange and miraculous, wonderful things happening. There was the sound of celestial musicians, the Gandhavas uh, uh, resounding through the air. You could uh, uh, you could see the uh, celestial, kind of heavenly mandarava flowers raining down from the sky also the Sala trees it wasn't their season for being in flower but they had burst into into bloom even though may wasn't the usual time for their for their blossoming and uh, there was you know, uh, a gathering of of many many uh, devas and brahmas deities of, of various kinds from from all around the 10000 fold universal system so ananda seeing these these extraordinary uh, strange and wonderful uh, things happening said yeah it's wonderful it's marvelous it's amazing it's incredible and never before has the Tathagata been so honoured, so revered, so uh, uh, so they, uh, uh, respected by these uh, uh, during his uh, during his whole life. Never before has the Buddha uh, so brought forth or inspired such gestures of, of devotion, miraculous uh, occurrences as this. And the Buddha, in his customary way. Said uh, yes, Ananda. Never before has the, the Tathagata the, uh, been so so honoured. You know, the mandarava blossoms are raining down from the sky, and the heavenly music is is in the air, and uh, all these uh, deities have gathered together, and so on. But uh, you know, if one really wants to revere the Tathagata in the best way, then the the most uh, uh, I say valuable, the most uh, the uh, most uh, beneficial, and the uh, the best way of all to revere the Tathāgata is to carry out his instruction, one who, who follows the Dhamma teaching, one who follows the Eightfold Path, uh, uh, who follows the Middle Way. Uh, they honour and revere and respect the Tathāgata with the greatest, the highest kind of respect. So this is a, a teaching I always uh, like to consider this time of the year and usually uh, bring it up for a reflection for everyone. Because you know, those of us who have been in, in the role of being a teacher, uh, maybe some of you are school teachers or university teachers, or um, or maybe just as as uh, as parents, you know, teaching your own children. <laughs> Whenever we find ourselves in that role of teaching. Uh, the thing that uh, I think almost every teacher around the, the world uh, appreciates most of all is not that the the pupil uh, say praises the teacher or brings them flowers or, or makes a nice card on their birthday or um, or that brings an apple for the teacher <laughs> or or uh, it comes and uh, say being a a teacher within the sangha you know you get a lot of of praise and reverence and people coming offering. Flowers and gifts and and, and beautiful uh, say gestures of, of uh, kindness and generosity. So that's uh, not to to belittle those or, or say put those down or criticise that. But the thing that is most pleasing to a teacher is when the, the the pupil actually carries out what the teacher is encouraging them to do. So it's not just a matter of praising the teacher or or, or say making offerings or. Um, being ex- making expressions of gratitude, but actually do what the teacher asks uh, the, to follow the instruction that the teacher is giving. That is what is most inspiring and delightful to, to a teacher, to one who's in that role of giving instruction, to actually realize, oh, my words have been heard, and my goodness, this, uh, this person has acted upon that and they, uh, their life has been changed for the better on account of, of uh, hearing what I've had to say. So uh, uh, this is, I think, a very uh, important and powerful gesture that the Buddha makes. As he's lying on, on uh, you know, lying down as the last breaths are uh, entering and leaving his body, he's uh, giving this gift, this be- beautiful gift to Ananda. So uh, even though that there are these uh, amazing and wonderful ways of, of expressing our gratitude, uh, the most wonderful thing to do is to really take the, the teacher's instruction to heart and to, to act upon it. Well, there's another very similar teaching that uh, the Buddha gave um, earlier on uh, in his lifetime that talks about the birth. Because similarly, as at uh, the the Buddha's uh, parinibbana, the final passing away, there were these many sort of miraculous and uh, and kind of colourful events, uh, sort of these uh, flowers raining down from the sky and celestial musicians, earthquakes, and um, the uh, uh, light shining into the the, uh, the deeper reaches of the uh, uh, the universal system where light never usually shines, and uh, there was another occasion much earlier on when Ananda was gathered together with a collection of uh, of uh, monks in one of the the, uh, the halls in in a uh, uh, monastery where the, the Buddha was staying. And Ananda was recounting to the, to the members of the Sangha gathered there. It was like an informal get together, and uh, Ananda was describing the miraculous events around the birth uh, of the Buddha when he, he was uh, when he was uh, uh, born in uh, uh, in Lumbini uh, on the way to Kapilavattu. and uh, so Ananda g- gave this description of the extraordinary things that uh, the um, uh, after uh, the uh, before the the uh, the bodhisattva was uh, was conceived he was uh, uh, dwelling as a uh, uh, as a bodhisattva in the um, the sita heaven uh, and then when uh, when he was uh, conceived then he uh, appeared in his, in his mother's womb and as soon as uh, he gravitated into his mother's womb mahamaya's womb then she immediately uh, was uh, uh, attracted towards keeping the precepts. Her mind was free of sensuality, and uh, during the whole pregnancy, she was very comfortable and and at ease. And uh, she was a- on her way uh, from. Uh, she was not in, in Kapilavatū um, or in her home uh, her hometown in the. Amongst the Kolias, but she was making her way t- uh, to get back uh, there for the birth. But uh, the birth took place instead in the forest at Lumbini, and she gave birth uh, standing up, holding onto the, the branch of a, of a tree. And the branch, uh, according to the stories, the branch bent down so she could easily grab hold of it. And then, uh, when the, the baby w- was born, then uh, uh, he was uh, caught in midair by the by Devadasi who uh, received him, and then. Streams of cool and, and warm water appeared from the sky to to wash the baby uh, as uh, as he was uh, uh, newly appeared in the world, and then if, even if that's not amazing enough, then uh, Ananda describes how as soon as he was born, then he could stand up and walk, and that uh, the uh, the Bodhisatta then took seven steps with a lotus flower appearing under each uh, each time his foot touched the ground as he walked along, took seven steps. And then at the end of taking seven steps, he raised his hand in the air and said, "I am the leader in the world. I am the foremost in the world." So the skeptical materialists amongst us might think this is all nonsense. You you, know, you not, not only maybe giving birth standing up is possible. You know, that certainly has happened in the past. But you know, all this warm and cool water coming forth from the sky—you know, humbug and being caught by davatars—you know, rubbish. It must have been the nursemaids that was. That was, had Deva's names or the, the, um, and then as for, for walking and talking as soon as he, as soon as he was born, you yeah, know, it's complete nonsense. And besides, lotuses grow on water, they don't grow out, out of the land. So he must have been walking on water as well. So this is all rubbish, nonsense. This is all humbug. Um, but I, I like to think of these stories as at least meaningful myth. If not, uh, uh, even if you can't uh, say uh, accommodate the idea that this is a historically accurate event, at least uh, the myth uh, the, and the symbolism is there uh, that uh, we can reflect upon. But uh, one of the most striking things is that, as Ananda is re- re- uh, recounting these different incidents from uh, the uh, the birth of the the, uh, the Bodhisatta, then. Um, and each after each time, uh, each separate incident, he says, and this is another wonderful and marvelous quality of the blessed one, a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Tathagata. And uh, so when he, he reaches the end of his account, then as usually happens in these stories, the Buddha shows up in the Dhamma Hall, and uh, they all suddenly, you know, the masters arrive, so everyone sits up and pays attention. And uh, the Buddha says, so what were you all all talking about? Uh, What was the conversation that was interrupted when I arrived? Because of course, as soon as the Buddha walks in, everyone goes quiet. And uh, so Ananda, having perfect recall, uh, recited the entire account that he'd given about these miraculous and wonderful events around the the Buddha's birth. And... uh, and, uh, and uh, when he gets to the end of his, uh, his account, having repeated all of these details, uh, then the Buddha uh, doesn't deny that any of that happened. He doesn't say that's incorrect or that's, uh, that's just folklore or it didn't really happen that way. He, doesn't, he makes no, uh, no comment about, about that. Um, but rather he says, uh, would you like to know another wonderful and marvelous quality of the, of the Tathagata? And so you can imagine, if you sort of picture the scene as a few monks gather around with Ananda in this in the hall, go, "Oh wow, that that was amazing enough already. We're going to get some really interesting stuff now." And uh, so they kind of, there's this mental image of them all leaning forward. "Hmm, okay, please, yes, the venerable sir, please tell us, please tell us." And then uh, the Buddha, uh, again in this in the same spirit, he says. when a feeling arises in the mind of the, the, the Tathagata, he knows a feeling has arisen. He knows it's arising, he knows it's, it's abiding, and he knows it's passing away. This too is a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Tathagata. When a perception arises in the, in the mind of the Tathagata, he knows a perception has arisen. He knows it's arising, he knows it's abiding, he knows it's passing away. This too is a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Tathagata. Uh, when a thought arises in the mind of the, of the Tathagata, he knows this is a thought that has arisen in the mind of the Tathagata. He knows it's arising, he knows it's abiding, he knows it's passing away. This too is a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Tathagata. So again, he sort of, Ananda is always getting a little bit carried away, that's his, his nature. He's sort of a little bit kind of hyper-enthusiastic, which I can relate to. <laughs> Having a, that, those kind of tendencies myself to be a little bit uh, easily enthused and inspired, so but this is ananda 's character, and the Buddha very gently and kindly sort of calms uh, calms him down and then points towards what 's really important, so even though you can think of uh you know being um, uh, being born in such a, a strange and miraculous way, with all these these different kinds of um, colourful events going around, going on around your birth, you might think that was really kind of amazing. That's unique. That's incredible. That's an extraordinary thing. But he he points out that, uh, that what's really extraordinary, what's uh, what's really uh, wonder, what's truly wonderful and marvellous, is that we can watch our minds. That's a, that's the real miracle. That's the the miracle that makes a difference. Whether babies can walk and talk and have lotus flowers popping up under their feet. Yeah, that's okay. But the really amazing and useful miracle is that we can watch our minds. And that's a a miracle that is, uh, uh, say, accessible to each and every one of us. Uh, That Maybe you would think, well, I didn't get lotuses growing up under my feet. At least my mom and dad never told me about that. (laughs) I I was born in... Kenshil nursing home in you know, there's no, no devadas, no flowers raining down from the sky no, uh, no lotus blossoms yeah. but the, the amazing and wonderful thing is that that uh, is really worthy of note and what the, the Buddha points to is that we can watch our minds, we can know a feeling a feeling of comfort or discomfort uh, a neutral feeling we can know that as it arises it takes shape and dissolves that's an amazing thing Perceptions of uh, what we perceive as being beautiful or ugly, uh, delicious or or, or, uh, or unpleasant, or fragrant or foul, a beautiful sound, an ugly sound. We can we can know this is a this is a sound. This is a beautiful sound. This is an ugly sound. It arises. It abides. It passes away. And the reason why it's, a, it's miraculous, or that's a wonderful and marvellous thing, is that in that very uh, quality of awakened awareness, that quality of, of knowing, then the mind which knows the, uh, the arising and passing of a thought is not identified with that thought. The mind which knows an arising, the arising and passing of a feeling, a feeling of liking or disliking, it's not tied to that feeling, it's not identified with that feeling there is a uh, pleasant uh, feeling arising, and passing. It's not, it's not permanent, it's not who and what we are, it's not something the mind has to identify with. So this points to the, the capacity that each one of us has for, for liberation, that uh, we have this ability to watch the mind. And the in a way the greatest legacy, I would say, of the, uh, the Buddha's life is this very wisdom, this simple principle a simple but uh, essential and transformative principle that each and every one of us we can know our moods we can we can be aware of our moods and not follow them you know, today someone came and uh, was asking me about uh, the, they entered into monastic life in their older age you know, a few years ago and uh is very dedicated and sincere but yeah you know, but uh said you know she's never really meditated and doesn't know you know doesn't know much how to meditate apart from trying to watch her breath and asked me you know, what, what can you teach me about uh, meditation what's the most important principle that I can learn to help my meditation be effective and this is exactly uh, what i said you know the, the 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 power of meditation the liberating uh Uh, power that we have in meditation, is that uh, by training the mind to focus on the present, we can watch a mood, a mood of of liking, a mood of disliking, a mood of of excitement, a mood of of depression. We can know that as it it takes shape, as it arises, as it abides, as it fades away. And that which knows depression uh, in this way is not depressed. That which knows excitement is not excited. That which knows agitation is not agitated. That which knows uh, dullness and uh, and sleepiness is not dull. (laughs) That which knows uh, fear is not afraid. That which knows lust and and desire is, is not lustful, is not filled with desire. It knows it. It's not tied to it. So, this is why we, we speak about meditation and we encourage the qualities, not just of concentration, but of the, the, the use of meditation to, uh, dev, uh, cultivate, consciously develop this capacity of wisdom. So, whether we've done much meditation or little meditation, whether Buddhism is completely new to us or whether we're an old hand, I would say this is the, the most, uh, uh, say, powerful tool. This is the most uh, say important and powerful uh, capacity that we have. The most powerful tool that we can use to to really bring happiness and freedom into our lives, because uh, we easily get tied up with our 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 work, our families. Our our physical health, our feelings of comfort, success and failure, gain and loss, and so on. All of us, whether we're a woman or a man, or old or young, whether we uh, we call ourselves a Buddhist or not a Buddhist, or have a different religion or no religion, uh, each one of us, uh, we have a, a flow of perceptions, thoughts and feelings uh, arising and passing in our lives, and that the fact that we are able to know this is a feeling, this is the sweetness of success, this is the bitterness of failure, this is the, the, uh, the tension of, uh, of, uh, of stress, and this is the, the, uh, the, the joy of, of, uh, of freedom. We can know those feelings. We can be aware of those uh, pleasant, painful, neutral feelings as they, take, as they arise, as they take shape, as they dissolve. So when we are not uh, being aware, when there isn't mindfulness, and when we don't develop this quality of wisdom, then automatically the heart identifies with the feelings we have. I'm happy, I'm unhappy, I'm depressed, I'm excited, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling bad. Yeah? I'm sick, I'm healthy. It's so easy and n- uh, natural, ordinary, for the mind to identify with the the ten thousand thoughts and moods, feelings that that come and go during the course of of, of our days, but if we recognise uh, uh, the uh, the potential that we that we all have, if we wish to say, put the, the Buddha's teaching to, to good use, then in each moment we'll recollect, oh, this is the the sweetness of getting what I want. This is a feeling. It it, uh, it arises. It does its thing. It passes away. Aha. This is the bitterness of not getting what I want. This is the feeling of of uh, of loss or sadness. This uh, arises, does its thing, it passes away. This isn't what I am. This isn't who and what I am either. Aha! So in that moment of clear seeing, there's knowing of a mood, knowing of a of a thought, a perception, but not following it. The heart is not born into it. The heart is not uh, identified with it. And when we reflect upon these qualities, uh, uh, the birth, the enlightenment and the final passing away, uh, we can consider that this is a, a kind of map for this very process of the development of wisdom. Many years ago uh, here at Amravati, long before this temple was built, uh, when Lumpur Paninanda came uh, on uh, Visaka Puja, when uh, Lumpur cha's health had failed and uh, he was no longer able to teach or to travel, then Lumpur Panyananda, who was a, a long-time associate and friend of Ajahn Buddhadasa, uh, he took it upon himself to to be a mentor and a support for this community. And so pretty much every year he would come to visit our monasteries here in the UK or in uh, in Australia and uh, New Zealand and, and other places to be a, a, a kind of kalyanamitta, a spiritual friend and a... And a uh, a guide, a teacher for our community because he knew uh, Cha was not able to travel and many of the senior monks from from Wat Bapong didn't speak any English and and had not travelled abroad uh, hardly at all in the past. So during that Visakha Puja a long time ago, back in the the late 80s, uh, this was a point that that Lumpur Panyananda made about these three events of the Buddha's life. We we think of, of them as you know, happening so many hundreds of years ago, two and a half thousand years ago. The um, the birth in Kapilowattu and then the enlightenment in Bodhgaya, the passing away in in Kushinagar, Kusinara. But uh, he has said that really it's not an accident that these three events, so whether you think of them uh, historically as all happening on exactly the full moon day of May in those respective years, he said whether it happened that way or didn't happen that way, that's, uh, that's something for historians to discuss, <laughs> uh, but he said the point is that they are gathered together uh, for a reason. There's a symbolic value in those three uh, events being tied together you know, on a single day. And the point that he made is that this, they, they form a map for the development of, of insight so you can see that the birth uh, of the bodhisatta in Kapilavastu that's like uh, symbolic of a, a feeling arising or a thought uh, a sensation that there's birth um, and there's potential for enlightenment but that the the condition at birth is still one of, of not knowing not seeing clearly uh, even though the buddha might uh, might have been uh, speaking and walking and speaking uh, at his birth he still had a, a, a fairly regular childhood and he sort of grew up he had to be educated and uh, had the the loves and hates and aches and pains of a childhood uh, growing up in uh, in uh, getting uh, the training as a soldier from his, his teens as the the crown prince of his small kingdom then uh, getting getting married at the age of 16 to princess Yashodara and then living together with her uh, for 13 years of married life until he was 29 then uh, leaving the house then experiencing dissatisfaction and and uh, the yearning for spiritual fulfillment, then leaving the the household life so uh in the in Lumpur uh, teaching as i i mean it 's more than thirty years ago <laughs> so uh it 's hard to recollect the detail, but it was along the lines of this is symbolic of us say experiencing a feeling say a a painful feeling in the body or a uh, A a painful memory or a a, a sweet memory, something arises in the in the mind, in our field of experience, and uh, it's born there. And the mind uh, relates to it from a a a position of ignorance, not seeing it clearly. Then we buy into that. This is a painful feeling, and it's this ache in my leg, or uh, say a a sad memory uh, that uh, you are, are. Bringing to mind or that comes to mind a memory of a of a friend that uh, you, uh, that you haven 't seen for a long time, or it could be a sweet memory or a pleasant feeling it 's just you know, whatever the the example might be uh, but the first of all there 's relationship to it from a base of ignorance we we believe in it, we think oh, this is a sweet that was a beautiful memory that was such a neat, wonderful day, it was so lovely, or this pain is so awful, so then uh, first of all, we just live with it in a state of ignorance, either believing in the sweetness or the bitterness. And then, um, at a certain point, the, uh, the, there's the uh, the leaving of the palace. There's the um, the recognition of this is this is frustrating or this is difficult. Or I, I've got to do something about this. There's uh, uh, that initial stirring of the heart. So when the, uh, we look at the scriptures, when we look at the uh, the Pali Canon. The the story of the 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 uh, the prince uh, Siddhartha leaving the palace with his charioteer that doesn't actually occur the, the, in the in the canon in exactly that way. Uh, that describes some events in the life of the Buddha Vipassi, the leaving the palace with the charioteer and seeing a, a, a an old person, a sick person, a dead body, and the wandering a wandering, uh, a wandering uh, yogi. Those events are described happening in the life of the Buddha Vipassi. But uh, they, over the centuries, they've got translated into the life story of the Buddha Gotama as well. But what you do have in the Pali Canon is uh, the Buddha's own reflections when he was a layperson. And I feel it's, it's a little more, uh, it's a little less colorful, it's a bit br- more brief and short, an account. But in a way, I feel it's it's more potent, and it's just describing a train of thought in his mind as a prince in the palace. And the train of thought goes, um, yeah. You know, why should I, being uh, being the victim of being subject to aging, being subject to sickness, being subject to defilement and to death, why should I also chase after uh, other things that are similarly? Uh, Subject to aging, to ailing, to sickness, uh, to defilement, and to death. Why not uh, uh, seek after that which is unaging, unailing, undefiled, uh, undying? Why should I not seek the deathless? And so, uh, and then as he says, so I did. So that's a very short description. But it, it's, uh, I think, uh, again a powerful reflection for us. So, when the mind uh, we're experiencing some kind of feeling or perception—a uh, sweet thought or a sweet feeling or a painful one, a bitter one—then uh, the uh, that that awakening of of the question or the uh, the the sense of. Uh, the the arising of faith to look beyond that particular experience. Yeah, this is a sweet memory, but it's already gone by. That it's 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 left, and and so this is unsatisfying. Or this yeah, there's this painful feeling in my leg, but why, uh, why am I so attached to it? Can, can I do something with this so that that uh, sense the uh, the movement of the heart the, towards uh, say working with our experience. That's the Symbolic of the uh, symbolized by the the bodhisattva leaving the palace, leaving the 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 world of sense pleasure, and taking up the 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 uh, the spiritual quest. So then we try to work with that painful feeling. We find ourselves uh, say resenting it, trying to wipe it out, negotiating with it, struggling with it, just as the the Buddha did with his various teachers and trying to. Uh, use his mind and mind training to, to get beyond feeling. So, if we just use, for simplicity's sake, the, uh, say, a painful feeling in one's leg as the example. So then we struggle against it, we try and, and put the mind somewhere else, or we try to just, uh, say, resist the feeling or try to wipe it out. But no matter how much we struggle to try either to get away from it or to suppress it or to, to just fight against it, then there's still the quality of dukkha, there's still tension in the heart. So then the, uh, uh, the moment of enlightenment, the Buddha then taking up the, the middle way as the insight before his enlightenment is, you know, why should I be, um, say, uh, fighting against this? The, uh, the, the more that I, I fight against this painful feeling or these, these sensations, the more I try to, to take my mind away from them or the more I try to suppress them, I just create more struggle, more tension and this, this isn't the way. There has to be a different way. And uh, so, then, uh, the insight into the middle way arose within him, and shortly after, he sat down under the bodhi tree in uh, Bodh Then, the uh, uh, the moment of enlightenment then is that moment of insight. So that we're uh, again using the example of a, a pain in our leg, that recognition of oh, this this pain is just a feeling. It, it's in a state of change, it has arisen, therefore it it, it has to pass away. This pain is just a, a physical sensation. It's not good, it's not bad, it's just this. And it's not who and what I am. There's a recognition, uh, an, an awakening to the nature of that feeling as part of the natural order. It's born, it, it'll live its life, it'll fade away and in that moment even though the pain is still there that there's still the uncomfortable feeling the mind stops turning it into a problem the mind does not call it wrong or bad or that it shouldn't be it stops negotiating with it or on creating suffering around it so this is the the moment of of enlightenment and just as uh, at the, after the enlightenment of the Buddha in Bodhgaya, his body didn't just sort of disappear into a flash of light or he didn't sort of suddenly sort of keel over and pass away, but rather for the next 45 years he lived with his body, his personality and then uh, lived creatively using his, his life, his mind, his, uh, his imagination, his intelligence, his incredible kindness and compassion to bring the Dhamma teachings into the world. So, uh, and, and again, and using Lumpopanya's um example, so that when we, we uh, say, awaken to a particular condition, say using uh, this example of a, a pain, then it's like the, the Buddha awakening under the, the Bodhi tree that his life carried on, he was still experiencing and feeling, um, and then uh, while that feeling is still abiding, while it still has its life, then we can, we can relate to it uh, with wisdom. We can uh, be a, at peace with it. We can also uh, develop a lot of understanding around that the presence of that feeling. And finally, uh, the parinibbana is the symbolic of that that feeling fading away. Uh, that, that either we change our posture, or the feeling kind of comes to its natural end and, and disappears. And then there's that 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 final passing of that condition. That just as the Buddha lived another forty five years. After the enlightenment, and then his body uh, passed away, then uh, that condition of his life, had, which had arisen in Lumbini, uh, then uh, carried through its natural span, and then came to an end uh, in. Uh, in Kusinara. So that that feeling that has arisen in our mind, uh, it's uh, having arisen, then it's been worked with, it's been understood, it's been known clearly. Then uh, while it is being known, then it carries on and then it passes away. And uh, as uh, 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 as uh, again, it's more than 30 years ago, so I'm, I'm not sure I can remember uh, 100% clearly. But uh, my recollection was that then Lumpur Panyananda said, you know, we might I uh, think it's, it's kind of inflated or outrageous to, to use the, the Buddha's life as a, a way of looking at our own mind. But, uh, he said that the Buddha's teaching is designed to be practical and to be effective for us. And so even though we, uh, uh, we can use the, the Buddha's life as an example or as a map for our own experience, it's not like we're claiming, we're claiming to be totally enlightened or that we're, uh, saying the, the ending of a condition is parinibbana. But he, he said that the Buddha did point out that uh, the nature of all conditions, uh, when they pass away, what uh, what remains is peacefulness. And when uh, we uh, do the uh, the chanting for someone's uh, someone's passing away, one of the verses that we always recite is called the Anicca Vata Sankara. And uh, the words of this, Anicca Vata Sankara, uh, all conditions, uh, all aspects of, of nature are uh, are in a state of change uh, all sankhara all conditioned compounded all natural things mental physical uh, of whatever kind they are in a state of change Upada damino having integrated uh, upada they disintegrate viyama uh, they having arisen having integrated they will disintegrate uh, upajjitava nirujanti uh, having arisen then they they fade away uh, having uh, having uh, come into being, then they pass away. And then the last line, te sang vu mo sukho and in their passing is sukha, which is peace or happiness, contentment. te sang mo sukho So when we are, uh, say, uh, using this map of the Buddha's life, the birth, the enlightenment, the Parinibbāna as a, a map for our own experience, then uh, when that condition comes to an end, te sang vu sukho if we we watch that that uh, that feeling having come to a, its natural cessation, then what remains in the heart is peacefulness. That's what is uh, the uh, apparent. That is the 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 end point of of all conditions is the quality of peace. The uh, the challenge then uh, after we watch something fade away. So maybe the 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 uh, the feeling of discomfort. Uh, comes to an end because we've changed our posture <laughs> or that uh, that uh, memory that you were dwelling on, that kind of sweet memory, uh, you've recognized it was just a memory and it, it did its thing and then faded away, then the challenge is to stay with that quality of peacefulness. Uh, any of us who've uh, practiced meditation or uh, say you've been uh, spending any amount of time watching the mind You'll know that uh, there's uh, a quality of, of peace that is really enjoyable when something fades away. You know, maybe there's a, a lot of noise outside the room, and then that, that stops, and you go ah.
1: Or you've had a, you've
0: had a pain in your leg, and then the pain fades away. And you go ah. Or you change your posture, and the pain goes away. You go ah. Or sometimes when the bell rings at the end of the sitting, ah as a a kind of peacefulness. But if you notice, uh, and I frequently mention this because it's something very very obvious or striking to me, is that when there's that kind of worldly peacefulness, it it usually only lasts for about three or four seconds. Or like if you're sitting at your home and you can hear the the fridge humming, you know, the little motor in the fridge uh, to keep the temperature down in the refrigerator. So when the the, the the humming of the fridge stops, you go, oh, you hadn't even noticed that that humming was going on. And, oh, oh, that's nice, ah, then one, two, three. And by second number five, the mind is already, already busy with something else. After the car has passed and, the, and it's gone quiet, then after a few seconds, then the mind starts to, gets bored with peace, and it starts to hunt for the next interesting thing. So, with the this reflection on the the Buddha's life and the parinibbana, then it's a uh, if you if you reach parinibbana, then don't reach for another rebirth. <laughs> Let the mind uh, dwell upon that peaceful quality and stay there. That, uh, that's the in a way the whole point of parinibbana is that there's there's no turning back. That's the 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 end of the last life is parinibbana. That's why it's the pari, the final, complete and utter nibbana. So most of us, uh, it's not a parinibbana. It's an extremely brief. It's a very sort of micro nibbana, <laughs> just a few seconds, and then we, the mind, out of its conditioning, its habit, it hunts for the next interesting thing, the next feeling, the next sound, the next thought, the. Uh, uh, the inner commentator think, "Oh that was really good oh i 'm really peaceful and, and starts to write a whole story about how peaceful you are right <laughs> so to let the mind uh, say uh, abide in that that peacefulness that is the in a way the the real challenge, but the, also that which brings uh, real blessings and benefits to us if we really want to uh, make the most uh derive the most benefit from the buddha's teaching then we learn how to genuinely revere peace and to cherish peace and to to get we get to know those habits of looking for the next birth and uh recognize that for what it is and let that go so that then that quality of of uh, the great peace that comes uh at the the ending of grasping and the ending of, of uh, conditions when the mind is truly is uh unattached and free of grasping then that is the uh the uh, the great blessing and the great say freedom the great uh, the fulfillment of the potential of our lives that quality of of a genuine coolness of heart a genuine peacefulness so uh, today uh, we were, uh, we have the plans for our circumambulation, and we uh, our, our uh, decoration team very diligently uh, tied uh, flags all over the stupa and and, and made, prepared the pathway outside. But uh, as everyone will have uh, noticed, there was uh, it was raining cats and dogs, thunder and lightning during the afternoon. It, that was not part of the forecast, but. <laughs> Anicca Vata sankara yeah all things are uncertain so uh, we will um aim to have our circumambulation around the uh, the the courtyard here uh, i believe that's still the plan i think yeah that's uh, so we'll we'll make the uh, the cloister our uh, uh say uh, path for our, our circumambulation this evening as it's uh, pretty wet underfoot and there might be another downpour <laughs> later on this evening so uh what we'll, we'll do now is have a, a little bit of a, uh, a break once the Dhamma talk is, is finished so that uh, all the preparations for the circumambulation can be made. And then uh, at that time, probably in about 10 or 15 minutes, then uh, we'll be ready to begin the, the next part of the ceremony for the uh, communal announcement for Visakha Puja and, and the, uh, the candlelit procession around the, the courtyard. Anyone? Anyway.